Good evening, everyone. Let me add my welcome. My name's Joe, and um, I serve on the leadership team here. And also, for context, because I always talk about this, in the rest of my life, I'm a geography teacher. Sorry if you hate geography. Um, so thank you, Henry, for reading that passage. That's really helpful. And obviously, in context, where we are in the year is where we are in the story. Um, it was Easter last weekend, and so we're looking at this passage, which happens a little bit after Jesus' resurrection, but before he's ascended to heaven. And it's probably a story that you know really well, or you may have heard before, um, but hopefully we're going to just unpack a few different things from it this evening. Um, I really like this story because I kind of think it's about two people who um, they're not really sure where they're going or what they're doing, which is something I can relate to. Um, they're heading away from Jerusalem. That's where everything's been happening, all the action's been happening. And it's been claimed that Jesus has appeared there, resurrected, and they're leaving that place and they're going to a village a few miles away. They're not really sure why they're going there, but it does seem like a bit of a strange choice. And of course, we know once they get there and they recognize Jesus, they end up getting up and going straight back to Jerusalem to tell the 11 that. So we can maybe guess that what was waiting in their destination wasn't as pressing as they might have thought at the beginning. So in the passage, in the story, Jesus meets with these two disciples in an ordinary place, just walking on a road. And I think he models for us what it looks like to meet others in their ordinary places too. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. That's the kind of angle we're going to look at, how Jesus meets these two disciples in an ordinary place, but also what he teaches us about doing that as well. So I really resonate with this experience that the two um, disciples have in the story. Hopefully not just me. Uh, maybe you've done this where you've purposefully gone somewhere, and when you get there, you can't remember why you've gone there. Anyone else do that? Uh, in my workplace, my office is two stories up. So I often go up two flights of stairs to the office and then forget where I've gone there. It's a bit sad. Um, worse than that, though, worse than that, which I think uh, these two disciples have a bit of. They're not really sure where they're going. Um, I'm a geography teacher, but I have a very bad sense of direction. It's a bit embarrassing. More than once, I've been on a field trip and I've taken some students purposefully somewhere and it's been the wrong way and then I've had to turn them all around again. Once, it involved a style. So that was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't really be trusted with directions because uh, I'll probably take you the wrong way. But it's not just an anecdote that I relate to the story that I sometimes have experiences of not being sure where I'm going. I think in life, I often feel like I'm not sure where I'm going or what I'm doing, but just that I'm trying to seek Jesus and follow him faithfully. So maybe you can relate to that too. We don't exactly know the circumstances of these two disciples walking to Emmaus, but Jesus doesn't seem to mind that they're not certain about where they're going or what they're doing, which is helpful for me, helps me feel it's okay to be in that place as well. This is such a rich story, um, but we're just going to focus tonight on Jesus meeting these two people in their ordinary place and modeling that for us. It's a great picture of how Jesus meets us where we are, even when we aren't sure ourselves. And I think Jesus models for us how we do this in our ordinary lives as well. Um, at CBC, we often talk about our front lines, this image might be familiar to you. I always talk about this when I'm speaking, and that's just because I spend a lot of my time on my front line. So this image is representative, the one on the right-hand side with the scattered dots. That's what it's like for us in our weeks. We go to different places, different front lines, maybe our workplaces, maybe school, maybe your home. Um, but on Sundays, we gather, like the one on the left-hand side, and meet together in order to be scattered again. 
So um, I'm going to talk a bit about my front line, as I say I always do. Um, and I said already, I'm a geography teacher in a secondary school, but also uh, at the moment I'm part of the school leadership team, and I look after our trainee and our newly qualified teachers, which is good fun, but quite challenging. And so for me, coming to church, reading the Bible, worshipping, they're all really, really good, but the reality is that most of my time is spent on the picture on the right, not the one on the left. And so the big challenge for me is to be faithful in that place, in my ordinary place, in my front line. And we all have a front line, uh, even if it's not the one you'd like to have, or even if your front line feels messy or impermanent. I think this story demonstrates that Jesus want to meet, wants to meet us in our ordinary places, in our frontline places, whatever that place is for you. So in the story here, Jesus appears to two people who I'm guessing weren't really sure of their direction, a bit like me, not always knowing the right direction. They weren't really sure where they were meant to be going anymore. They know these rumors that Jesus has resurrected have happened, but they're not completely sure what that means for them. So take heart if you feel like you're in that place, if you feel like you're not really sure what direction you're going, or like I said, if your front line, the place where you're spending a lot of time, feels a bit messy or a bit impermanent. Now, I think more than just meeting us in our ordinary places, which this passage demonstrates for us, I think Jesus also gives us a model here for talking to people about our faith in, in the story. So I'm going to try and sort of talk through the little model that I think that, that Jesus gives. When I read the passage a few times preparing, this is what I felt like might be helpful to talk about. So first of all, Jesus is present with the two disciples. He's really in the moment with them. Secondly, he listens to them. He lets them speak first and tell what they know first, and then he clarifies what's really going on for them. And finally, as we know, he waits for them to invite him in before he reveals who he is. So I think for us, that can be a model too. We can learn from that. We can learn to be present, to listen and clarify, and also that we all need to wait to invite Jesus in. So firstly, Jesus is really present in this moment. So think about what's going on in Jesus' life. He knows that he doesn't have very long before he's going to ascend to heaven. He knows the 11 are lost and uncertain and need help. He knows that he needs to restore his relationship with Peter, who's going to be the rock on which the whole early church is built. Maybe he should really be thinking about giving some Peter some theological training. I don't know. Maybe the human part of him wants to like visit his mum, see his family, make sure they know what's going on. Like it's quite a pressured time, or certainly it could be. And yet, Jesus is really present with these two disciples, who we know almost nothing about. We don't really know who they are or why this uh, encounter is particularly important, but Jesus makes time for them and is present with them. I think that this is really challenging for us, especially in the time that we live in. Um, I've controversially brought my phone onto the stage with me. If you have a phone with you, um, please would you check it and see how many notifications you've had since you last checked it. Oh, exciting. You can show me on your fingers. Hopefully you have enough fingers. Total respect if you have none. Six is a lot. Dave has 21. So that's, 
There we go. Um, so uh, I only had two, so I'm not very popular this evening. Um, but that's not been very long, I expect, that um, since you last checked your phone, maybe since the beginning of church, I hope. And uh, we get a lot of notifications and a lot of distractions. Um, and uh, even knowing that we have notifications unopened can be a distraction. Um, some studies have been done where like, you watch a presentation like this, somebody speaking, and the, the little email pings on the screen, and, and apparently that makes people more distracted while you're speaking to them. So I thought about doing that, but I thought you might be distracted enough already. Uh, I wrote some of this on, a, on the first Monday of the Easter holiday. I did a bit of writing, and um, I checked my work emails, and I had 31 unread emails. That was about 10 a.m. on the first day of the holidays already. So um, it, it, we live in an age of distraction where information, people contact us all of the time. And um, even if we want to be really present in what, are doing, in what we're doing, I think it's really difficult. Again, some other um, research has been done that we sometimes use at school, that even knowing that your mobile phone is near you, but switched off, can be distracting. And students do worse in class if that's the case than if their phones are somewhere else completely. Now, it's not just technology. Technology is a good example of why um, we live in a time of lots of distraction. But I think we're just very easily distracted. For me, what I find when I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed when pressures are high, I find that my colleagues feel like a distraction. I don't want them to come to me for help or advice. I don't want the trainee teachers to come and ask me questions because this job that I'm currently doing requires a lot of concentration and it feels incredibly urgent. So I don't want people to come and distract me. Sometimes teaching lessons feels like a distraction. Uh, it feels like an inconvenience. The students feel distracting because I have something important. I have a deadline to meet, and I'm not sure how I'm going to do that if I have to keep stopping to teach lessons. It's a bit funny because that is really my job. I know that Jesus' experience wasn't quite like that. Jesus wasn't quite like me. Um, but I think that he could easily have felt that other things were more pressing. We can understand at that time how things may have felt urgent or more pressing than these two disciples who were trudging along away from Jerusalem. But he makes time to walk with them, just the two of them, and explain what's been going on and clarify for them so that they understand. In my school, there's a group of Christian teachers and we meet each week to pray. And something that we often pray for each other is that we'd be able to like, set aside what's stressing us out and look out for the needs of others. That even when we're feeling under pressure, we'd stop and help somebody who doesn't know something, or we'd talk to and advise someone, that we'd listen if somebody's having a bad day, that we'd make time for somebody who's not feeling well. It's not like a life-changing prayer, but it's definitely something that I need I definitely carry stresses, and sometimes I need to set them aside. I think at church, sometimes we can talk about praying for opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to tell people about Jesus, but sometimes that's like too big of a step. First of all, we just need to be present. We need to notice what's going on for people um, and need to be okay with putting our own busy agendas aside. We can feel like I'm called to that scattered place. I'm called to that front line. So the work I'm doing there is really important. And forget that part of the work is noticing what's going on around us. So Jesus starts the journey. The first thing I think he models for us here is he's fully present with these two disciples as they walk along. Next, we see Jesus let them lead the conversation. So he doesn't push what he wants to say straight away. Instead, he asks them, 
what they're talking about in verse 17, and then again in verse 19, he asks them, what things are you talking about? And they go on to explain what they know, and it's from there that Jesus tells them what's really happening, clarifies for them. It's not like a pre-rehearsed speech or a script. He's responding to what they've said and what they know already. There's no wrong place to start when it comes to Christianity, is there? Not everybody has the same foundation or the same in. You might be here today and not be a Christian, but you have questions or you're just interested in faith, and that's okay. You don't have to like start at a certain point and work your way up. It's not a ladder. And I think for us, increasingly, if we are already Christians, we may find that our friends and our families who don't know Jesus don't have a good understanding of what Christians think. They may have a lot of misconceptions they may have a lot of confusion. And so I think part of our role, like Jesus models here, is asking them, listening, um, and responding to what they know. Now, I'm going to use a risky example here, because I'm going to talk about some geography, which some of you might be really bored of, but also I bet loads of you will ask me about this later and I might not be able to answer your questions. So it's risky in all sorts of ways, but we're going to try it. Um, and uh, it's a misconception in geography, okay? So this is something we talk about in school a lot, is like sometimes students have misconceptions, something they don't quite understand correctly, and that stops them from understanding other stuff. So I've got a question for you I'd like you to quickly discuss with somebody near you. Why is the Earth hottest at the equator? Off you go. Okay, um, I think I'm going to ban you if you're like currently doing GCSE geography or A-level geography or biology, because you uh, science, because you might know. Anyone want to call out for me an answer? Okay, great. It's closer to the sun. So that is what generally is understood, and generally what students would say to me if I'm talking about this in the classroom. The equator's closest to the sun, um, which, which sort of is true, and it kind of makes sense. Um, but it doesn't really actually explain fully what's going on, and it doesn't actually help us to understand everything about how climate works. Um, so if we don't unpick what's actually going on, then we don't understand it fully. So what's actually happening, by the way, if this is really dull for you, then just like, ignore it. Switch off for a second, come back in a minute. Uh, the sun's rays are more concentrated at the equator. So you see the um, energy from the sun at the equator hits, and it, and it hits a smaller area, a much smaller surface area to heat. So the rays are more direct, the heat's more concentrated. Whereas north and south of that, it has to heat a much larger area. There's several other reasons too, but that's kind of the main one. Um, so it's not, it, it kind of is closer to the sun, but that's not really what drives the system. What drives the system is that the sun's rays are more direct at the equator. Uh, so as I said, it, you're kind of right. It's kind of okay to think that. But actually, if you don't unpick it fully, then you're not going to know kind of what's going on. Um, and I think that's the same as our two disciples here. I'm just going to read for you what they say when Jesus asks them, what things, what do you know, what, what have you heard? Um, so this is verses 19 to 24. They say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, that account, it's not too bad, is it? Right? It's not, like, totally wrong. They haven't, they haven't like, forgotten everything. Um, but the problem is, what they say doesn't fully explain what's happened or why it had to happen. So a bit like my example, it's kind of right, but it doesn't fully explain what's happened or why it happens. And that's what I think is going on here. And so Jesus listens to that and then responds. He knows what they will know. So he talks to them about Moses and the prophets to explain the full story of what's going on and what's happened. And I think we can learn from that too. We can learn from the listening to people. What do they know already? Um, and also like unpacking and thinking about, does this fully explain what's happening? Sometimes we can like storm ahead with telling people about our faith before listening to people's starting points. Like all the starting points might be different. An example is I increasingly feel that um, people that I work with, they don't necessarily know or they've never really thought about whether Jesus was real. Like was he really alive or not? They've never really thought about that, which I think is different. That's something I hadn't encountered before. When I was growing up, that wasn't something people hadn't considered. They mostly had an opinion or knew what they thought, which is something a bit different now. But we can only use our conversations and respond to what people know or don't know, and increasingly, I think, won't know, um, by, by listening and telling them, uh, listening to where they're at, getting a clear picture of what they know, what they don't know, or what their confusions may be. So that's the second thing Jesus does. So he's present with them, then he listens, and he clears up their confusion but not until he knows and understands what's really going on for them. Finally, in the last couple of verses, we see that Jesus was going to continue along the road, but these two disciples invite him in. So this is true for all of us, isn't it? And for those on our front line that we want to talk to about Jesus, he waits to be invited in. Knowing the information, having our questions answered, or our confusion cleared up isn't enough. We have to invite Jesus in, and continue on the journey. And it's at that point, when the disciples welcome him in, that Jesus reveals his identity to them. So I think a, a simple little model that might be helpful for us, be present, listen to what people know or don't know yet, and then we have to wait. We have to wait for people to invite Jesus in, or we need to invite him in ourselves again to continue on the journey. What I'd like to do for the last um, couple of minutes is get to get you to picture yourself on your front line. Here's a picture of mine, front line, corridor in my school. Um, picture yourself somewhere that you go regularly. In a minute, I'm going to get you to maybe close your eyes and think about that. Somewhere that you regularly go, regularly walk. And we're just going to pray through some of what we've talked about today, if that's okay. So you might want to close your eyes, or you might be really good at visually picturing somewhere that you go or walk regularly. That's mine. And I want to remind you that Jesus has a plan to use you in that place. Just like in our story, in an ordinary place, Jesus met with the two disciples and he wants to meet with you and reveal himself to you. And he wants to reveal himself to others through you. 
So maybe the first um, part of the kind of steps that Jesus modeled for us resonates with you. Maybe you feel that you want to be more present with people in your place. To be able to put down distractions, to set aside your own pressures and notice the needs of others. Just pray that now that you'd be able to do that, to be more present, to set aside distractions and notice what's going on for others. Maybe the second step really resonated. Maybe you you sometimes talk about your faith, you talk about going to church, but it never really gets further than that and you want to be able to go deeper in your conversations in that place. So I pray that you'd be able to listen to others, hear and notice their misunderstandings or their misconceptions and be able to respond to them. Or maybe actually it's just the end part. Maybe you long for somebody to take that step and invite Jesus in. Or maybe you want to do that yourself. Invite Jesus in. Uh, So I pray for boldness for you or for the person that you're thinking of to take that step and invite Jesus in. Lord, I thank you that we can learn from how you speak to people and meet them in their ordinary place in this story. And I pray that something that we've thought about tonight will resonate with us this week. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for